When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Proclaimed as one of America's best sports shows by Sports Illustrated, this is the Paul Feinbaum Radio Network. To be part of the show, call... One day, um, going through the show in January of 2011, and we get a call from a guy who describes himself as Al from Dadeville, Alabama. Hey, Al. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Well, thanks. He lost his cool with me, and he said, well, I'll tell you what I did last week. The weekend after the Iron Bowl, I went to Auburn, Alabama, sure. and I poisoned the two tumors trees. Did they die? They're not dead yet, but they, they definitely will die. You heard that right. This man calling himself Al from Dadeville calls into a radio show to say that he's poisoned two oak trees. Is that against the law to poison a tree? Well, do you think I care? No. Okay, I really don't. Roll damn tide. Roll damn tide, and he hung up. I didn't give it much thought. Two weeks later, a man named Harvey Updike was arrested. It became one of the biggest stories of the year and one of the ugliest college football-related crimes that has ever been reported. To understand how a man with no criminal record became one of the most hated individuals in the history of college sports you have to know a thing or two about college football in Alabama and the rivalry that's long defined it. And to understand why a whole town would mourn over the death of two old oak trees like they were people, you need to know about a small college town named Auburn with a big football tradition. This episode, I'll go to the scene of the crime and meet the man who did it. I wanted Auburn people to hate me as much as I hate them. I'm Mo Rocca, and this is Mobituaries. This Mobit, death of a tree, roots of a rivalry. Tonight, we have a story about a long-standing rivalry where things have now gotten out of hand. And Police in Alabama of... have arrested this man who they say poisoned a pair of beloved oak trees. At... This morning, we took Harvey Updike Jr. into custody for the poisoning of the trees. We charged him. that somebody would do something like this to a few trees that had never done anything to anybody. How important are trees to, to Auburn? Without trees, this campus is nothing. To me, without the trees, it's just buildings on a side. I'm with horticulturist Gary Kiever at Auburn University in eastern Alabama, about an hour outside the state capital of Montgomery. Auburn has one of the most beautiful campuses in the South, in part because of all the trees. Wow, that's nice. What kind of trees are those? Is that great, birch? Great myrtle. Great myrtle. God, I'm so bad with trees. There are over 120 species of trees on campus. Not so surprising at a school where you can major in forestry. That is a, a mini magnolia? 
That is a silver bell. And that thing over there, that looks like a Christmas tree. Is that a sort of, it's not a pine, it's a, it's a cryptomeria. A cryptomeria, no one knows what that is. Lots of people know what it, if you're in horticulture, you know what it is. Okay, that's a, by now you can tell I didn't major in forestry. Can I guess, can I guess what that is? Yes. It's a, um, is it a live oak? It is. Like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I'm so excited that I got something right. But at one spot on campus, the trees have deep symbolic value. We're, we're standing here in Tumor's Corner, and, and this is the gateway to, to campus. And, and I mentioned the term where town meets gown. Tumor's Corner, the intersection of College Street and Magnolia Avenue. Two massive old-growth oak trees once stood sentry here. About 80 feet apart, their glorious crowns of foliage joined overhead, indeed forming a kind of gateway. The heart and soul of Auburn's campus, the Toomer's Oaks, that's T-O-O-M-E-R-S, were over 80 years old and named after the founder of a drugstore that's still there, just across the street. Okay, this is kind of a big deal for me because I'm actually now seeing it. So, where are the trees? I'm looking right here. Okay, and right here. So, all right. What is- the slender trees I'm seeing are replacements. Perfectly nice, but you certainly wouldn't try climbing one of these. One day they might touch overhead, but right now they seem disconnected from each other. Two trees among many on campus. And we look here, and for each of these new tumors oaks, fairly immature, there's a little sign around them. And what does it say? Please do not roll. Rolling. It's a school tradition, really a ritual, that goes back to the 1970s. When Auburn's football team wins, students rush to Tumor's Corner and hurl rolls of toilet paper up into the trees. The original Tumor's Oaks that stood here were majestic, but when rolled, they looked kind of magical. In photographs, the long streams of toilet paper resemble white flowing manes that at night seem to glow, made from pounds and pounds, make that many pounds of toilet paper. Usually rolling, and it's still done, is to celebrate Auburn's wins. But sometimes the students roll trees to celebrate another holy occasion, when their arch nemesis, the University of Alabama, loses no matter who beats them. These two teams hate each other. But why? Where did this rivalry that divides the whole state and led one man to poison two oak trees originate? Turns out, that's an old story. Like Civil War old. During the Civil War, the federal government decides to fund what are called land-grant universities. These are schools that teach programs on farming and mechanical trades, basically Aggie schools. After the war ends, when the former Confederate states rejoin the Union, the state of Alabama wants to get in on that money. Then all of a sudden, there comes this fierce competition to see who will become the land-grant university in each state. That's historian Wayne Flint. He wrote the book on Alabama. Like, literally, he wrote the Encyclopedia of Alabama. So which Alabama school will win this distinction and the money that goes with it? 
University of Alabama wants to be the land-grant school. And the last thing they want is for a college in East Alabama. That would be Auburn. To get this ultimate plum of the federal money. And in this, their first head-to-head competition, Auburn, a formerly small Methodist college out in the sticks, wins out over the older, then more affluent, University of Alabama, thus sparking a rivalry that lives on even today. So, how can two in-state schools that compete for wealth, political power, and prestige settle the score? Football. So, there is, in sublimated form, this rivalry that is about politics and wealth. It immediately manifests itself. Metastasizes. Metastasizes onto the gridiron and into the stands. Correct. The football rivalry gets so intense brawls between fans, fights over regulation rules, that it's suspended at one point for 40 years. Seriously, it takes an act of state government, a House joint resolution, to bring these teams back together. And in 1948, the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Auburn Tigers pick up where they left off. It's like they never stopped hating each other. At its heart, this rivalry is less about two schools and more about class. I'm thinking of that awful cheer you sometimes hear at high school games. That's all right. That's okay. You're going to work for us someday. Correct. Does that kind of sum up the Absolutely. feeling that, Absolutely. that Alabama Absolutely. has for Auburn? Absolutely. Hicks, drivers of secondhand Ford trucks. <laughs> you said it. Yeah. Not me. I did because that's the stereotype. Never mind that today, Auburn is ranked higher than Alabama on the list of top state schools. It's sent six alumni into space and one into the top office at Apple, as in CEO Tim Cook. Yep, he went to Auburn. In fact, Auburn grads on average make more than Alabama grads, a fact which may have made this rivalry even more poisonous. I would say that college football is as close to a religion in that state as you could possibly find. The main difference is that people practice it every day where religion, they they show up when they feel like it. This is beyond obsession. It's addictive. There's people that live for football season. Football is life, football is love. I have heard people tell stories of going into labor in the middle of the game and being told that they need to wait. Auburn football is my Yahweh. I have to believe that part of this is that Alabama doesn't have a professional football team. Does that matter? I've, I've always thought that was a big part of it. Um, there, are, there are just no professional teams of, of any ilk. Which means in Alabama, you've got two choices. Arguably the most intense rivalry in all of college football. You pledge your allegiance from birth, Auburn or Alabama. You must choose. A brother versus brother battle of wills. Dividing families and loyalty. Tensions between these teams are so high that matrimony between Auburn and Alabama fans is called a mixed marriage. And once a year, on Thanksgiving Day weekend, the two teams meet on the gridiron. In the game known simply as the Iron Bowl. This game is basically a high holiday in the state. Virtually everyone will be either at this game or watching from home. The highways are empty. Stores are shut down. The winner of the Iron Bowl secures bragging rights for the whole next year. And when football fans in Alabama want to boast about their team's big wins, 
they call into The Paul Feinbaum Show. And it must be great being known as the Oprah Winfrey of college football. Oh, that was a compliment that I treasure. Hello. Hello. Hey, Paul. Hi there, Paul. How's it going? I know you had a the Five Bomb Show isn't a, isn't a radio show. It's a family. Kind of like the Mansons, who are a family. Hey, Cal Turd, how dare you say that about Alabama? Reading the teleprompter, then you ought to just keep your mouth shut about Alabama football. Ooh, you make me so mad sometimes because you don't want to hear nothing about Alabama. This fella obviously needs uh, professional help. I mean, I dare say that no one in the history of mankind has profited more from the Alabama-Auburn rivalry than the person you're currently listening to. Your dominance in the SEC is over. This conflict has been good for you. I I, I will admit that under oath. God, you're like a war profiteer. (laughs) But when Harvey Updike called into the Paul Feinbaum show in early 2011, he wasn't ranting or raving. The weekend after the Iron Bowl, I went to Auburn, Alabama, and I poisoned the two tumors trees. He sounded deliberate. He sounded proud. Did they die? They're not dead yet, but they, they definitely will die. Is that against the law to poison a tree? When I first read about what Harvey Updike had done, I found it disturbing. Really more than disturbing, I found it sinister. What kind of a person would kill two beautiful, innocent, living things? I thought about how cruelty to animals is a predictor of violence against other people, sometimes horrific violence. I thought of a kid up the street from where I grew up named Kevin. He used to get a kick out of crushing little baby bird eggs he found in nests. I don't know what happened to him, but I still don't like the name Kevin. I even thought about the Taliban blowing up the monumental statues of Buddha at Bamiyan in 2001. Look, you might think that comparing the killing of two trees to the torture of animals or human beings or to the destruction of a religious shrine is over the top, and maybe it is. But sorry, what kind of a person would do this? The question for me boiled down to this. Is he a person who did something terrible and, as it turns out, dangerous? Or is he a dangerous person? I headed down to Texas, where Harvey Updike was living last summer, to find out. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Now, before I introduce you to Harvey Updike, the University of Alabama fan who killed Auburn's two beloved oak trees, there's another person I have to tell you about. Like those trees, he's no longer with us in body, but in spirit, he's very much alive. University of Alabama coach Bear Bryant is an icon. And not just for leading the Crimson Tide to unprecedented glory with six national championships over a 25-year career beginning in the late 1950s. He had an aura. A man of few words, he stood tall, six foot three, sporting his trademark houndstooth fedora, projecting the gravitas and the intensity of a John Wayne or a Gary Cooper 
but he wasn't playing a character in a movie. He got his nickname Bear when he was 13 years old. Naturally, when he agreed to wrestle a captive bear at a carnival. He became so influential across Alabama that, of course, he had to have his own TV show. Sundays at 4 p.m., he would sit down, crack open a bottle of Coca-Cola and a bag of Golden Flake potato chips, the show's two sponsors, and break down the Alabama game from the day before. That wasn't what we wanted to do either. We didn't want to kick off Everton. We could help it, but we were very fortunate here. They... His mother had always wanted him to be a minister, and he famously said coaching and preaching are a lot alike. And watching his show on late Sunday afternoons was like a second church for diehard fans. Four years from now, uh, you'll be walking out of here as a national champion. After he died on January 26, 1983, he was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Reagan. A few years back when they had those commemorative state quarters, I'm surprised Alabama didn't put Bear Bryant on theirs. On both sides. Now, I'm telling you all this for a reason. Harvey Updike grew up watching The Bear Bryant Show. And like for many young kids, Bryant gave him someone to look up to. And I'll tell you this. I expect nothing less. We're driving down the street in Texas. And in about 0.2 miles, we are going to meet Harvey Updike. He's canceled. He's confirmed. He's canceled. He's confirmed. He's hedged. I get it. I get it. He's not sure what he's getting into. The destination is on your right. And neither are we. Hello there. How you doing? Hey, I'm Mo Rocca. How are you? Mo, how you doing, buddy? Great to meet you. You must be Harvey. Right, I'm Harvey. And may I say, I love your hat. Thank you. Thank you. What do you know? Harvey is wearing a houndstooth Alabama cap to match his short-sleeved polo with a crimson A insignia. Well, dogs, it doesn't look like it. she's going to bark very much. And what, what, what's her name? Princess. Princess? Princess. That doesn't sound like a, a, anything to do with the Crimson Tide. Well, I didn't name her. I had uh, Harvey 69, and he looks it. His hair is such a light blonde that it looks white. He has a biker mustache, the kind that Hulk Hogan has, with a goatee. Or is that a soul patch? Hi there, how are you? Hey, how's it right. going? I meet Harvey's son. Bear Updike, nice to meet you. That's right. Harvey named his son Bear. Incidentally, he's got a daughter in another state named, wait for it, Crimson Tide Updike. Mo, Mo, nice to meet you, Mo. Seen you on TV. All right, all right. Uh, I also meet his two granddaughters, and they're adorable. This is Briley. Briley, how do you do, I'm Mo? Good. Madison, how are you? I'm good. I'm Mo, and this is Princess. <laughs> I learned quickly that travel softball is a huge thing for these girls and their grandfather. I cheer on my girls as hard as I can. I, I love them to death. What does he, Briley, what does he do? How does he cheer? Uh, he's like, let's go, Left Dyke! <laughs> I just go overboard when I go out there. Hmm, I have to wonder what going overboard means for Harvey Updike. But the girls seem to love their grandfather's fervor. I like it. I like how big of a fan he is. All my friends like it, too. They laugh. They walk up to me and they're like, man, your grandpa's awesome. I wish I had a grandpa like that. And I'm like, yeah, he is amazing. <laughs> But he's loud. Loud and proud. 
Briley and Madison imitate Harvey's signature catchphrase. Man! Man! Then Harvey shows them how it's done. Man! Is there a fault line in Texas? Because the walls just shook. 20 minutes in, if I have to sum up Harvey in one word, it isn't scary or creepy. But Grandpa. So far, at least, he's kind of a regular Grandpa. Then, without any prompting, I hear what sounds like Harvey's origin story, how he lost his dad when he was just four years old, and how a certain legendary coach filled the void. I told my mother when I was seven or eight years old, if I ever have a boy, I'm going to name him Bear Bryant. And she asked me why. I said, well, he's everything that a uh, father figure should be. He makes his players call their parents on weekends, and I just thought he was a great person. Harvey fondly describes sitting and watching the Bear Bryant show on a black-and-white TV while his mother ironed. He still remembers the show's two sponsors. Yeah, yeah, he'd open a bag and, you know, bite three or four and drink his Coke, and I think it lasted about an hour. We all head down the road now to a local surf and turf spot to grab some lunch. On the car ride over, Harvey tells me about his previous life as a police officer in Texas. It was the best job I ever had. I love being a trooper. I put a lot of people in jail for DWI. Which is a huge point of pride for Harvey. He says his father was killed by a drunk driver. Newspaper accounts from the time, though, report that his father died when he lost control of his tractor trailer and flipped over, and that no other vehicle was involved. But... I believe that Harvey believes his father was killed by a drunk driver. He says it's something that defined his career in law enforcement. The only thing I remember about my dad is uh, at the funeral, they picked me up to kiss him. And I kissed his forehead and it scared me to death. You know, it felt like marble or something. And You know, I was three years old, I didn't know what. It's pretty out here, isn't it? It is pretty. What is this, Belton Lake? I'm genuinely moved by Harvey's story. But wait a second. Am I being manipulated? Look, this is my first true crime episode, so maybe I'm being gullible. I need to be more circumspect. Um, anyway, do you want to go ahead and order? At the restaurant, I order the mixed field green salad and catfish fingers. Now, like any good lunch spot, it's a little noisy. If there's levels of fans, like weekend fans... You know, avid fans, radical fans. Where are you? I would say probably radical. Well, I know it's uh, it's unhealthy. Do you? I yeah. Mean, what, what do you mean? Well, I mean, besides my kids and grandkids, I love Alabama, you know, right below them. Not too far below them. <laughs> Madison, who goes by Moo, seems to take this in stride. Moo, do you love anything as much as your grandpa loves Alabama football? Um, I mean, I love him as much as he loves Alabama, but he loves it a lot. And what do you think of it? Do do you understand it? Uh, no. (laughs) I don't understand why he had to kill the trees. I don't, I mean, I don't know. He's a little crazy. I didn't mean it. I did. And just like that, courtesy of his 11-year-old granddaughter, we're talking about the crime itself. You just said, I didn't mean it, I did. What does that mean? I meant, I was saying, I didn't mean it. 
but then I was then I was going to tell you the truth. I did mean it. I wanted Auburn people to hate me as much as I hate them because they bought Cam Newton. Scam, you know who he is? Scam Newton? The Cam back. Okay, I'm going to do some translating for the non-sports people. You may have heard of NFL quarterback Cam Newton. Harvey calls him Scam Newton. Back in college, Newton was a star player at Auburn, which made him enemy number one at Alabama. Throughout 2010, Newton was under investigation after allegations that he had been paid to play for Auburn. That's a big no-no in college sports. Cam Newton was eventually officially cleared of these allegations. That season, Newton led Auburn to a historic comeback victory over Alabama in the Iron Bowl, a stinging defeat coming on the heels of an even greater outrage for Harvey. They hung the Scam Newton jersey on Bear Bryant's statue. Right. That's when I went crazy. Yes, fans taped Cam Newton's jersey onto Bear Bryant's statue a week before the Iron Bowl. This is true. Did you consider that like like um like sacrilege? Yes. Yes. Harvey also says that when Bear Bryant died in 1983, Auburn fans rolled Tumor's corner in celebration. Now, there's no proof that something so ghoulish as that happened. But again, I believe that Harvey believes it. At this point in the meal, I'm kind of understanding why all of this was so upsetting for Harvey. Auburn fans taped Scam Newton's, forgive me, Cam Newton's jersey onto a statue of Bear Bryant, which I'm guessing, in Harvey's mind, was tantamount to mocking his father. But then Harvey goes into a clinical, step-by-step description of how he poisoned the trees. In the middle of this family seafood restaurant in front of his granddaughter. It took me a month. Every night I'd stay up all night long. And they used to have cameras on the trees. I figured out when the slowest time, what day of the week and what hour of the night was the slowest around those oak trees. So I could go in there at that time and not get caught. And what time was it? It was 4 a.m. on Sunday night. The chemical he used was an herbicide called Spike 80DF. Mixed it with water and put it in uh, milk jugs. I had two milk jugs for each tree. And I walked around the, uh, the outside of the tree, you know, where the foliage came out. So just pouring it around, almost like gasoline to set a fire. But uh-huh. like, you know. When they arrested me, they came to my house. They brought... I'm not lying to you. They brought 25 police cars out there to search my house. We can't verify that. And they told me that uh, I used way, way, way too much. We can verify that. Try 500 times the lethal amount. There was even concern from federal police officers that he might have poisoned the water table. In other words, Harvey Updike put Auburn's drinking water at risk. You know, I wasn't a chemist. I didn't know how much to use. I just wanted to make sure they died. It felt like I was sitting across from someone who had been radicalized. I know, fanaticism in sports didn't start with Harvey. In 1917, Texas A&M fans stole the University of Texas's mascot steer, Bebo, and branded him. And just last year, West Point cadets kidnapped the Air Force mascot falcon, Aurora, and seriously injured her. Grown-ups did this. Maybe it's fitting that the voice of reason at this table 
belongs to 11-year-old Madison. Yeah, I don't know why he wants people to hate him. I mean, they probably already do, but he's not really acting like his age. He's kind of acting young, like he's back in elementary school. Man! (laughs) I would never want someone to hate me as much as I would hate them. I'm sorry, baby. (laughs) And just like that, I'm feeling a little better about Harvey. Do you like trees in general? Yeah, I like trees in general. You know, I just don't like Auburn. There's several things in this world that I really and truly don't like, and Auburn's one of them. What are the others? Liver. I ain't going to eat no liver. It's got a lot of protein. I don't care what it has in it. I don't eat liver. And what are the other things you don't like? I hate to say this because this has upset a lot of people, but... I hold my breath. I'm not crazy about cats. I didn't know what you were going to say just now, but okay. Harvey is so matter-of-fact describing his crime, but there was nothing matter-of-fact about it for the Auburn community. After the trees were poisoned, the first thing that happened after it was announced was the fans rolled the trees, almost like, okay, we're going to show our concern for you by rolling them. One last time, and it's done. War Eagle. I'm back with Gary Kiever, the horticulturist and former Auburn professor, and he's telling me about the aftermath of the 2011 poisoning. I empathize with the students because they were feeling the tree's pain. And the next thing they did was to begin to enshrine the trees. They began to bring up flowers. They began to bring up memorabilia. To pay respects. Toilet paper rolls inscribed with get well messages were laid down. A bouquet of flowers made out of toilet paper. I began to see the human quality that these trees brought out in people. This vigil that people Abs- absolutely, absolutely. Thank you to the Auburn family for the outpouring of love that you are showing now during this time of hurt. These trees will likely die. But the Auburn spirit will continue to live on. While the prognosis was grim, some held out hope, including Gary Kiever. And are you in rescue mode right now? What is, where is your head when all of this is happening? Well, at this point, we didn't know where the herbicide had been placed. We didn't know how much. So we were way behind the curve. The university consulted with the nation's best tree doctors. Various treatments were tried at great expense. Sugar injected into the roots. Liquid-activated carbon drenched over tree beds. But the tumor's oaks only got sicker. In essence, the tree was starving itself to death. I mean, when you see something like that happening, I mean, do you feel for the tree? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. You know, I mean, we've got this majestic trees that do no harm to anyone, and someone has chosen to harm them. And it makes no sense to me. If you want to know how this felt for Auburn, listen to the voice of Gary Kiefer's colleague, Stephen N. Lowe, when he was asked by a reporter if the trees were definitely going to die. Uh, it's an emotional question. Um. I always want to hold out hope. Uh, Based upon the technical experts I've consulted with around the country, uh, the concentration of spike uh, basically found within the soil uh, would suggest there is a very low probability. On April 23rd, 2013, 
two and a half years after Harvey Updike had poisoned them, the tumor's oaks were removed. It is so sad. And then every time the chainsaw cuts on, just listen to the people get quiet. It's a, it's a sad day. It's uh, tough to talk about. Just see this. It's like a funeral. I mean, did people have tears in their eyes, or? They did when the street was barricaded off and there were hundreds of people out there. Uh, there were people crying, without a doubt. And surprisingly, some of those who'd come to bear witness were from Alabama. In the effort to save the trees, Auburn's arch rival had raised over $50,000 on a Facebook page called Tide for Tumors. In many ways, the poisoning brought Auburn and Alabama closer together because many of the Alabama fans felt maybe in some way a small part responsible for their poisoning. I'm driving with Harvey now. We've just left the restaurant where he described in detail his crime. Let me ask, when we were sitting in the restaurant, so you said you you were honest and you said you don't regret it, but do you think it was wrong what you did? Yes, I think it's wrong. You know, them trees wasn't hurting me, but uh, that's the only way I felt like I could get back at them. You know, I wasn't going to hurt anybody. And at the time, we had just found out that uh, my ex-wife had cancer. On the one hand, I'm relieved that Harvey actually recognizes that what he did was wrong. Uh, I guess I was depressed. On the other hand, he's making excuses again. You know, I think everybody has done things that they regret. Probably not a magnitude that I did, but... If you could say anything to those trees, what would you say to them? I'd probably say, uh, sorry, but too late now. We're back at Harvey's house now. Actually, it's his son Bear's house. Harvey moved in here in 2017. Uh, you got to excuse upstairs because that's where I stay. It's not really a bedroom where he's staying when I visit. More like the second floor landing. Do you see all my hats? They're really nice. I mean, I got a bunch of them. That's a pretty good-looking hat right there. I like that, Bama. This is the one Bear Bryant used to wear, the kind he wore. I didn't start liking them yesterday. Uh, well, you've been with them for four decades now. You know, I stayed with them when they was down. But they didn't stay with him when he was down. To many Crimson Tide fans, Harvey became a pariah denounced by no less a person than Alabama head coach Nick Saban. Part of what makes this so sad is that Harvey didn't even go to Alabama. He didn't even grow up in the state, but across the line in the Florida panhandle. Harvey's a member of what's known unofficially as the pickup truck alumni. Working class people so inspired by the heroics of Bear Bryant that they became diehard fans who take the rivalry way more seriously than the actual alumni do. And now the Alabama community was looking down at him worse than they ever looked at those kids from Auburn. Uh, you got your pills there. What are the pills for? Whew. 
Uh, I take about 30 pills a day. For what? Everything. I mean everything. I've got everything except a venereal disease. Harvey spent six months in a small jail in Lee County. That's where Auburn is. He said he got jumped several times by Auburn fans serving time there and that people would spit in his food. He said he lost over 80 pounds. And if you compare photos before and after his sentence, you can see that he's not lying. He came out looking gaunt and pale. Do you think it was extreme, the punishment? Yes, I do. I mean, what, what I did, I shouldn't have done, but I think I pretty well got what I deserved, you know. I think I, I mean, I think I deserve to go to jail for doing that. I mean, I do. I mean, I shouldn't have done it. Yes, I know. Harvey just completely contradicted himself. Again. As for whether Harvey's punishment fit his crime, no surprise, Alabama's legal community is divided. Well, it was almost a personal attack. These weren't just a couple of trees. There are a lot of tears have been shed over this. That's Lee County DA Brandon Hughes. If you remove that emotional attachment to those two trees, his case is way out of proportion of what ordinarily would be charged. And that's University of Alabama law professor Jenny Carroll. Harvey was charged with a Class C felony, which for a nonviolent first offense was not typical. There was also a misdemeanor charge for, and I find this significant, desecrating a venerated object. There were plenty of folks who felt like if ever there was a time for capital punishment, it was this time. There was no trial. A plea deal was struck, which included the six-month-long jail sentence, a five-year probationary period, and over $800,000 in restitution. At a payment rate of $200 a month, it'll take Harvey more than 300 years to make good. I think it was garbage. I think he got off easy. I, to call it a slap on the wrist is overstating it. I think it was a kiss on the cheek. That's nothing, absolutely nothing for what he did. Harvey was banned for life from Auburn's campus. As part of the probation, he had a 7 p.m. curfew, and worst of all for Harvey, was not allowed to go to any college sporting events, which meant no Alabama football for five years. They are punishing him at the very heart of the thing he loves the most. It's like a modern-day shunning, right? Like, you have to leave our community that we all consider so valuable. Still, a lot of people weren't satisfied. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody around here that says, yes, justice was served. After he was out of jail, that guy didn't look back. He was, he was a hero to the Alabama people. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded. 
and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. GameBridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. I wondered what this was like for Harvey's family while this was all happening. It doesn't matter who it is. Marsha Updike is Bear's wife and Harvey's daughter-in-law. She's just home from work, and we sit in the kitchen to chat. Do you think if he'd been living with you all and been involved with the grandkids then, that he would have done it? Oh, heck no, because he would have been like, hey, I got this idea, and I'd be like, heck no, we're not going to go do that. But that's, She won't let me do anything. <laughs> I don't even let him take food upstairs. She won't even let me take I mean, food upstairs. So Sometimes yeah. I sneak it. I put it in my pockets, I take upstairs <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so there would have been no poison. No, no poison. It would have been a different world. When this was all happening, Marsha, what did you think? I don't know. We weren't directly involved. You know, on a serious note, there were fans that would, like Bear had to shut down his Facebook page because he would receive death threats. And that was ridiculous. So it's so funny because they would get so upset. These Auburn fans would get so upset because of what happened and then message his son and that their his kids should die. And so you're saying it was hypocritical of them to say they were outraged by this and then turn around and threaten your kids. Absolutely, yeah, yeah absolutely. Do you feel bad for the trees? So here's the thing, they're trees. I mean, I get it, don't get me wrong. I mean, that's gonna be super insensitive to some folks. And um, what people need to know is I don't care about, I mean, it. I shouldn't say I don't care, but it's, it's football, it's Auburn, it's Alabama. But when I found out like the value that they placed on those trees and things like that, I was a little surprised myself, I do have to say. So I understand they are special and um, it was devastating. But, you know, if someone comes and breaks a statue or something along those lines, I'm not sure that the ramifications are as, I don't know, intricate as they were for That they would be punished as much. Yeah. They definitely raked him over the coals a little bit. They definitely threw the book at him and uh, said, hey, we're going to go to the highest of the high. Yeah, I'm going to go all Barbara Walters on you. If the trees could talk, what do you think they would say when they see those toilet paper rolls coming at them? Brace for <laughs> contact, I guess. I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm back with horticulturist Gary Kiever at Auburn. Now, if you're an Auburn partisan, you're probably fuming right now from Marsha's They're Just Trees take. But before you go all Lorax speaking for the trees, listen to this. There, there are hazards associated with the rolling tradition. Historically, the paper was removed with high-pressure fire hoses, and that damaged the trees. It weakened the trees. Oftentimes, by the end of the football season, there was no, no foliage on the lower third of the tree. You know, they had declined over time. Plant pathologists had warned against rolling. One even dared to joke that it would help if Auburn just stopped winning. So it sounds like the trees weren't always treated right. They were not. They were, they were special because of the tradition and their location. If they had been located elsewhere on campus, we might have replaced them. But we were going to keep them at all cost because of their role in the tradition. So was the tradition that made these trees so beloved also the thing that was slowly killing them? 
The one on Magnolia, in my opinion, it was getting close to the end of his life. This wasn't privileged information. In the summer of 2007, three years before Harvey doused the trees in Spike 80DF, a headline in Auburn's alumni magazine asked the question, too late for the tumor's trees? Local outlets reported on the tree's declining health. The student newspaper declared even more bluntly, landmark tumor's trees dying. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but as early as 2007, the trees were in pretty poor health. Does that matter? No, I mean, you don't get a pass for killing a 90-year-old person because they were in bad health to begin with. That's Lee County DA Brandon Hughes again. Please don't think I'm comparing a tree to a person. But the point being is, you know, Dr. Kevorkian doesn't get away with murder because the person was going to die anyway. But Jenny Carroll says that if they could do it all again, Harvey might have a case. If Auburn fans were already killing those trees, then I think he could make a claim that he did not actually kill them. If he was looking for a defense lawyer who would actually take his case, I would be perfectly willing to defend that man. I think we could have done better maybe than he did on that plea deal. On November 10th, 2018, Harvey Updike was feeling good, driving in his deep red pickup truck toward Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa, home of the University of Alabama, to watch his beloved Crimson Tide take on Mississippi State, his first Alabama home game since his probation ended. I see Bryant-Denny Stadium, and it is beautiful. Thousands of Alabama fans and in crimson colors. Welcome back to Brian the Here they are. That's what I'm talking about. Harvey's not lying low today. Cheaters! Cheaters! Bring your cowbell on that one. He hoots and hollers through the whole game. Touchdown, Alabama! One of the Bama fans sitting behind him realizes who he is and high fives him. You the poison trees in Auburn? No, that's him. No, what? That's him. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. Pretty nice. I didn't think I'd ever get to come back here before I died. Something tells me Harvey will be with us for a while. Just listen to him at one of his granddaughter's recent softball games. Yes! 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 Blue, I thought that was I'll admit it, I've developed a little bit of a soft spot for Harvey. Look, I'm not saying he's innocent of a crime he clearly committed. This isn't making of a tree murderer. But I don't see the seeds of a homicidal maniac in him. I see someone who latched onto a community, to an identity that made him feel like he belonged, who got carried away by the tide of what really is an obsession, Alabama football. He did something terrible. He's a fanatic, for sure. But I guess I don't think he's a dangerous fanatic, at least not any longer. There's not a day it doesn't go by that I don't get up and read Titer and Sider, and then I go look at the obituaries, and if my name is not in there, then I'll probably go back and lay down and sleep a little bit longer. He knows what he did was wrong. And deep down, I think he does regret it. I want to be cremated, and and I want half my ashes put on around Bryant-Denny Stadium and the rest of them around Tumor's Corner so they'll know I've been there. Or 
maybe he doesn't. When I leave this world, I want people to say he was a good father, he was a good stepfather, and he was a very, very good Alabama fan. I admit I, I like him too much. We should note that on Sunday, March 3rd, tornadoes ravaged parts of the southeast. At least 23 people were killed in Lee County, Alabama, home of Auburn University. Our sympathies are with the victims and their families and friends. I certainly hope you enjoyed this first season of Mobituaries. If you haven't heard the previous seven episodes, please go back and listen. While you're there, it would be awfully nice if you'd rate and review the podcast. You can also follow Mobituaries on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at MoRocca. You can subscribe to Mobituaries wherever you get your podcasts. For more great content and to see Harvey's reaction to Alabama's loss to Clemson in the 2018 championship game, please go to Mobituaries.com at your own risk. This episode of Mobituaries was produced by Kate McAuliffe. Our team of producers also includes Gideon Evans, Megan Marcus, Megan Dietrich, and me, Mo Rocca. It was engineered by Bart Warshaw. Indispensable support from Genia Stineski, Shoshi Cement, Zach Gilcrest, and Richard Rohrer. Special thanks to Coach Pat Dye, Greg Schmidt, and Auburn's Special Collections, Sean McManus, Benjamin Dietrich, Steve Karasik, Preston Sparks, Mike Clardy, and everyone at CBS News Radio. Our theme music is written by Daniel Hart. And as always, undying thanks to Rand Morrison and John Carp, without whom mobituaries couldn't live. Hi, it's Mo. If you're enjoying Mobituaries the Podcast, may I invite you to check out Mobituaries the Book. It's chock full of stories not in the podcast. Celebrities who put their butts on the line, sports teams that threw in the towel for good, forgotten fashions, defunct diagnoses, presidential candidacies that cratered, whole countries that went kaput, and dragons. Yes, dragons. You see, people used to believe that dragons were real until... Just get the book. You can order Mobituaries, the book, from any online bookseller or stop by your local bookstore. And look for me when I come to your city. Tour information and lots more at mobituaries.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.